0: And welcome to the Double Double. My name is David Dixon and it's Thursday, July 1st here in the afternoon, New York. Finally cooled off, getting ready for the 4th of July weekend. I'm joined on the line by my good friend and now multi-time guest. The people wanted you back. My good buddy, (laughs) Matthew Starr, up, up and baits. We were pushing this podcast back several weeks. We want to do a Knicks post-mortem and Matt finally feels ready Ready to, to face the world after the Knicks were eliminated by the Hawks in game five and then obviously the Julius Randle not making the Olympic team disappointment. Matt is now finally ready to confront the people and talk Knicks and some other NBA storylines. Matt, how's it going?
1: It's good, David. Um I I, I can't confirm. Um I, I'm ready to ready to talk about the Knicks now. It it's been a week or two of processing. Um not all not all. At the same not like a focused processing effort, but it's been like a week or two of on and off processing.
0: You um, went through the multiple stages of, of grief. You went through the denial phase and the acceptance uh, phase to the anger I,
1: phase. No, actually quite the opposite. I went through, it, it was almost like a mirror image of grief. It was like excitement <laughs> because of how far above expectations I'm, how far above expectations the outcome of the season actually ended up being. Um, But obviously the excitement varied depending on the stage of processing because I was trying to think about just how happy I should be about what I expected to be um, an unmitigated disaster of of an effort this year. So uh, I went through, like, inverse grief. Um, And now I'm at a place I feel comfortable
0: with. Okay, well, (laughs) you – you were right. This this last Knicks season was a huge shock, a surprise. That's what made the team so much fun to watch and so much fun to root for was expectations were very very low. Young team, two first-round picks this year, one from Dallas, and then having their own pick, thought that they were going to be rebuilding, playing the young guys, Coach Tibbs, getting the young guys ready, playing hard. Well, uh, he got to play really, really hard and, and, and hard enough that they ended up making the playoffs, the four-seed, Fall to Atlanta in round one, and now we know where Atlanta is. Tied 2-2, Eastern Conference Finals, game five tonight. No Giannis in that one. Waiting to hear about Trey Young. So that game could be, that seems like a pick em to me. But focusing on the Knicks, going forward for at least next season, they won't surprise us in the same way of that, uh, the result versus the expectations, just because when you're the four seed Now it's, okay, what's next? And the expectation now is this team is going to get back to the playoffs. You always talk about how you are reticent to go all in and dive deep onto the the Knicks bandwagon. So so just explain your thought process briefly as we head into the summer because the Knicks have a lot of choices to make this summer. But are you feeling hope or optimistic for the next season or are you sort of waiting uh, to get crushed again?
1: I I feel nuance, um, and what I mean by that
0: is... You feel nuance? Worry.
1: Yeah, I feel nuance, um, and the reason I say nuance is because I, I don't want to label, uh, I, I guess, the emotional soup that, that that's laying inside of me regarding the Knicks as any one thing because it's not, right? So I am still remarkably guarded um with my hope and or positive thinking when it comes to the New York Knicks. Um if only because I I guess just as a general rule as a person, I feel always to, better to be safe than sorry. And you can't really evaluate um evaluate something in a very valid
0: way without complete hindsight and we're not at that point yet. What I will say... Matt, that, the season's over. You can evaluate it in hindsight. Uh,
1: no, 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 no. I'm talking about years. Um, it, it years um, looking back, right? But point, point being is, um, especially because, that, well, I guess we can get into that later, but I'm thinking of a number of examples um, of things in NBA or just generally that you have seen one thing right after they happen and then after a few years elapsed, um, they become something totally different, right? Um, and the Porzingis trade would probably be a prime example of that, but I don't want to talk about Porzingis. He's toiling away in Dallas, and that's not our problem anymore. What I want to talk about is one simple thing. The NBA is a superstar driven league, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are about eight people that account for 95% of the probability um, of winning a championship, right? So when you're looking at the beginning of the season, at like what team's odds are to win. There are like eight people on earth that account for like 95%
0: of those odds, right? The Knicks and, need a superstar. Well, but here, but so here's the thing, right? If the goal is to win a championship
1: or compete for one regularly, you need one of those eight, 10, 12 guys, right? Mm-hmm. So then the question becomes how do you attract one of those guys to come um, join? What you have going on, and prior to this year, the brand of the Knicks, as we've discussed ad nauseum, was um, lacking to be generous, right? Yeah. Um, lacking in prestige, lacking in competence, lacking in respect—all those things, right? But now, whether it's valid or not, you have the coach of the year and executive team at least those uh, that are outward public facing right like leon rose world wide west that seem to be respected amongst the decision makers in the league i uh, e.g the chris pauls of the world and you have a not only city but space madison square garden that again has proven itself to be the home of the smart, passionate basketball fan. And if I'm one of those 10 guys or one of the future 10 guys, right, Um, and I'm looking at that recipe, that combination of things is about 8 million times. And I, I don't like speaking in hyperbole. I don't think it's an exaggeration to say 8 million times more attractive than what the New York Knickerbockers seemed about nine months ago. So that is why... I want to focus on the very legitimate, positive outcome this season was. Whether I'm ready to give my heart back to a team that has stomped on it so viciously so many times, not yet. Um, But I am optimistic, and I think that optimism is grounded in legit reality.
0: Well, you're you're correct that, in terms of how building a team there's, there's basically two ways either free agency or trade at a proven star, or you draft and develop that player. And the Knicks now they have about 50 million in cap space next season, at least because they have a really interesting decision and tough decision to make with Julius Randall. Cause his contract next year is like partially guaranteed. Uh, so, they, so they have to figure out what they're going to do with Julius Randall and how much that they're going to pay him because is he your second best player? Is the goal then to get someone to come and play with Julius Randle? Is the goal to get two guys to come play with Julius Randle? The mistake that the Knicks, I think, would could make this summer is going all in on adding a star player but not having enough around that player because we already did that with Carmelo back in 2011 trading all those assets for him when he was likely going to sign in free agency. Anyway, now you never know what would have happened in free agency, but that sort of thing, if you plug in Carmelo with the team of, at the time, a young Gallinari, a young Wilson Chandler, all those types of players, and with uh, Amari, who had, at the time, healthier knees, uh, that would have been a very, very different story. So the Knicks have two first-round draft picks this year. They're both in the mid first round because of the way that both them and Dallas finished. R.J. Barrett is getting a lot better. I'm sort of in a let's wait and see sort of run it back type mode because the biggest thing that they need to do is find a point guard this offseason. Lonzo's going to cost a lot of money. He's been linked with them for a while. I don't think Derrick Rose is a starter. I think he's a guy who'd come off the bench just because of where he's at with his age and the number of surgeries he's had. What type of point guard do you think the Knicks should go after? Because everyone is dreaming of a Damian Lillard summer.
1: (laughs) So, I... One of my pet peeves in life is when people make very passionate, um, engaged attempts to talk about things they don't quite know about. And I don't quite know what the NBA guard free agent slash trade target landscape is like holistically but also i don't know the skill profiles of the names that you mentioned well enough to speak on it but i do know is when you have suffered or failed at something for 20 years and finally found a way to change your approach to achieving something you failed to achieve and started to build a foundation that looks promising don't at the first sign of promise just throw away all the foundation pieces you so painstakingly um, pulled together just to I guess cash out on a premature set of assets right um, so if we're talking like skill profile point cards or just even as like a big picture thing right like I don't know like Dean Lillard is like one of those 10 people that matter. Um, Of course, there are a lot of people that would probably point to the fact that the Trailblazers haven't made it out of the first round like five of the last six years or something like that. Um, Even though they've had a pretty okay, not fantastic, not terrible group of guys around him. Um, But he is one of those 10 guys. And if you want to talk about personality, um, place, alignment, Dames, um, strong games like, passion for, like, loyalty, and also just, like, hard nose day area, like, slashing, and, like, I'm going to go at you until I literally can't walk anymore. Brand would fit, like, a glove in New York City. Um, that being said, we've had this discussion many times before about these fantastic um, possibilities, and... I I think we discussed on this podcast the rate of those fantastic possibilities turning out well has been about um, zero.
0: The difference uh, is those were free agents, and this is a trade where if you just say, hey, here's R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson and four first-round picks or five first-round picks, it's a lot harder to say no to than if a player is a free agent and can hear offers from a lot of other teams as well and teams that are more in line to win. It's a lot easier to get that player when it's when it's in a trade, and I don't think Damian Lillard will happen just because I don't think he'll get traded, and I don't think the Knicks would trade all their assets for him. But looking through the different free agents, right, point guard Lonzo's going to cost a lot because he's a restricted free agent, so you always have to overpay for restricted free agents. And and, and what I mean by overpay is not pay more than that player is worth, but you have to structure it, and usually in some crazy weird way, that could end up having Lonzo like make 40 million this year, so that the Pelicans can't re-sign him, and then 15 th- the next three years. So there's always something weird with restricted free agents with those contracts. But looking at the available free agents, just point guard, I like a Spencer Dinwiddie Ooh. acquisition, Reggie Jackson. Um, I would love Patty Mills. He kind of faces the same issue of Derrick Rose of just older point guards who have been in the NBA for a while, but those are the types of players who I think they should be adding of guys who are veterans, know how to compete, not like guys who have proven it before so that they can be building blocks and establish players that in the next summer or someone's upset they can make a trade for.
1: So that's what i was gonna ask you does not even matter what the skill profile of who you're bringing in is as long as they're talented so it, it, it's insofar as their cultural fit because it seems like that's been the mo for the leon rose administration I, I don't know if that um if a cultural fit is like sufficient to create a competitive basketball team especially uh, for something as fundamental to a good basketball team as a savvy point guard but um I don't know, like, the, the, do you, like of those names you just threw out, Do does any one or two in particular strike you as particularly Knicks-ish, given what Knicks-ish has meant over the past, like, 10 months?
0: I think Dinwiddie. I like watching Dinwiddie play. I thought that he, you know, he obviously was hurt this past year, but I really enjoyed watching him play the couple years before that with Brooklyn. Patty Mills coming from San Antonio and everyone loves talking about the San Antonio Spurs culture there. I just think that it doesn't necessarily have to be the perfect culture fit when you're at this point of the team building stage. It's just that you just have to get someone who can help you win games and just be a professional and 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 that's the type of thing and not have the like the ups and downs of the of the young players because RJ still going to have that in his third year. Mitchell Robson's still going to have that. The two players who they picked this year are going to have their ups and downs. If Kevin Knox is still on the team, Toppin, who is a rookie, quickly like they have enough young players to deal with the ups and downs. Having some veteran, more stability on the outside, I think would really really help this team going forward because the expectations next year are going to be not you have to finish top four in the East, but you got to be back in the playoffs.
1: So maybe that's the key, right? So maybe half of the burden is on us as fans to not get ahead of ourselves, because as we, at least as at least as we've been fed um, over the past decade or so, a lot of the superstar chasing moves, quote unquote superstar chasing moves, the Knicks have made have been to appease their fans. Um, or the others, or this, right? Exactly. And maybe what we could do. Um, as fans or maybe that's half of the equation making sure that we don't give them that excuse um, because I, I, I guess I, I guess the takeaway from what you just said is that it really doesn't matter too too much who you bring in as long as it doesn't like clog your cap and like destroy your locker room um, and then as long as they're like pretty decent right so maybe it's more of a let's just make sure the franchise doesn't really mess this up for themselves for a long time as opposed to a matching x and o's x's and o's until we fall asleep on our computer
0: and and this is a this is a draft that has more depth than last year at at a few different positions so they won't be able to to draft most likely Cade cunningham or jalen suggs from gonzaga but Someone who may be in that range is James Booknight from UConn, who's 6'5", can really score the ball. He's like a point-combo guard. Davion Mitchell from Baylor, who's a point guard, he's, depending on which draft board you look at, is either going to the Warriors at 7 or he's going like 25 because he's an older player and and has measured shorter than I think what he was listed at. So they have a lot of moves to get to going forward, but let's talk about the New York fan for a second because – you mentioned it, and the team across the river in Brooklyn fell to Milwaukee in game in seven games of the Eastern Conference semifinals. Kevin Durant put on a show for the ages. You love harping on this topic of does anybody care about the Nets in New York, <laughs> and I just want to point out quickly to you that the Nets had sellouts every single home game, like packed um okay with the vaccine requirements too it wasn't a free-for-all like you had to do something to like get in besides just buy a ticket you have to like you have to prove that you were vaccinated um so they also you know sold out with fully all fully vaccinated people too um that shows to me that people care barclays was loud you know the Giannis 10 second uh free throw chant which is you know this stupid but it was loud. They had an impact. <laughs>
1: I I think that's a correlational argument as opposed to a causational argument. And what I mean by that is just because the Barclays Center is loud um, and the next were playing well does not mean people care. Um, and the counterexample I would provide to you would be, I, I guess, any – Uh, maybe even our Oasis night uh, basketball games, right? Like just because that gym got loud does not mean that most of the people watching cared about our basketball team. You had teachers and students who literally barely knew the first rule of basketball, but they got loud because they bought into some momentary narrative of, Oh, this is fun. Um, Whatever it is. Right. And I think similarly, you could put Kevin Durant, at the peak of his powers against Giannis at the peak of his powers almost anywhere in the United States with enough wealthy vaccinated people and you would sell out. Um, And I don't think that says anything about the franchise. Um, As to why I love Harpy on it so much, we can get to that in a minute. But Do you buy that or do you think I'm out of my mind I'm just being a hater?
0: I think that a couple things this year really went against them in that You have a spectacular team, one of the two or three best teams in the NBA, and they had no fans for the majority of the season because of the pandemic. Um, That could have created a lot of extra uh, excitement in New York in the regular season of all the people who are going to go see Harden, Durant, and Kyrie because the three of them are just phenomenal players. And they, it more fits into the NBA fandom right now, which is, it seems like people really root for players and not necessarily teams. So there probably are fewer Nets fans in New York than Knicks fans. But that doesn't mean that people don't care about the Nets because I think a lot of people really, really root for Kevin Durant and James Harden and Kyrie Irving. I mean, you walk around Brooklyn or New York kids are so many kids have on Kyrie Irving jerseys. Like he's crazy popular.
1: So, then that's not about the franchise as much as it is about the players, which is a different conversation altogether, um, and I guess a more a broader conversation about what it means to be an NBA fan nowadays. But I would still argue that kind of proves the point that people care about those three people, and you can put them in any city, and they would have as enthusiastic a draw, if not more. Um, yeah, I, I, I think I might die on that hill. I think that may be true. I don't know. (laughs)
0: The the, the real test will be next year. They'll be able, most likely to have full occupancy for the entire season. They have a chance to win 70 games next year. Now, they are going to be an extremely expensive team next year and the years to come, because Kyrie, Durant, and Harden are all extension eligible extension eligible this summer. They are all max contract players. That's a lot of money. They're gonna they already have type in those three, but continue to. Joe Harris is on a big contract. They're gonna have to be very creative around the edges with that roster with a lot of buyout guys the way that they were this year. And and they'll get guys who are will take a minimum to chase a title. But those three guys, if they are healthy, which is something, you know, Kyrie's battled injuries, Durant, obviously the oldest, he's battled injuries. If those three here are healthy, there's a chance that team wins 70 games. And that's something New York has never seen before. A team that may be one of the best regular season teams of all time.
1: Yeah, i that's absolutely true. Although I would draw I would um, give two counterpoints um, one and I think most importantly given what's later on our agenda the whole freaking point of throwing all your three money into three people let alone those three people given the reasons that you just articulated as to why they're uh, particularly susceptible to injury is the whole like the whole reason you don't do that right like because you're pushing a lot you're, you're not um, you're not, I guess, spreading out your risk, um, especially when your assets are particular. I, I, I didn't articulate it that well, but you know what I'm saying, right? Basically, well,
0: like it's strong- well, well, I we'll actually think the opposite because as you, 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 you mentioned that there's like eight to 10 guys who really, really affect if you can win a championship that year and the nets have at least two of them. And depending on Kyrie's, uh, health status at the time he he could be a, a third guy and
1: uh, I you were gonna say Kyrie's uh,
0: no but yeah, you know I like know. he he's battled a lot of injuries in in his career and so what this yeah. playoffs has proven is injuries happen at random moments Trey Young steps on a referee's ankle and he's out Kyrie steps on someone's foot and he's out the rest of the series you know when you go all in on these three stars, you, in my opinion, minimize your risk because even if one gets hurt, you still have two stars, which is more than enough to win a championship most years. And yeah, the rest of the roster may not be as great. You know, Jeff Green maybe your fifth starter or your first guy off the bench instead of a peak Warriors team when it was Sean Livingston in his you know prime or Andre Iguodala in his prime. Mm-hmm but that's why that team was the best team of all time. And these teams are just awesome and not the best of all time. But the Nets were rolling in the Milwaukee series. Harden goes down and they were still up two games to one. And then unfortunately Kyrie goes down and it's a completely different ball game. And then Harden comes back and barely on one leg, the Nets still almost win. So we we've seen this like the Warriors lost that series to the Raptors not because Durant got hurt but because Thompson also got hurt, <laughs> right?
1: Yeah, but I would counter to that. I think your point about risk mitigation with like those three guys is uh, very valid. What I would say to counter is I would use your first point against your second point. Right? If if you're starting a season over. In which you need to pay all three of those guys, you aren't going to be able to afford a Joe Harris, buy up Blake Griffin. Um, a, I guess Dinwiddie wasn't even in the picture this year, but uh Brett Brown, not a Brett Brown, what, Bruce Brown. What, 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 what was that dude saying? Bruce yeah. Brown, right?
0: Bruce Brown. Yeah,
1: right? Like they got lucky with a lot of their role player gambles. And of course, that's part of the game, right? But if you're running it back and you have to pay those three guys and you can't keep those tertiary parts together um, with whatever money you have left, then your odds of being able to compete if one of those guys goes down shrinks significantly. And I think the reason this year why it wasn't a tragedy is because they had the infrastructure in place and for whatever reason the numbers kind of like worked out, right? But I – I think the risk mitigation point that you're making is valid, but not as valid as it would seem based on uh, what happened this year. Um, well, because well they, it, yeah.
0: it's not if you have an owner who's not willing to pay the luxury tax, but the nets do, they have an owner who's yeah. willing to pay the luxury tax. So will he be willing to pay the repeater tax four or five years from now when it's, you know, multiples of what it is now, maybe. Well, that's, that's a future issue, but for this upcoming season, they'll be fine salary cap wise it'll be an expensive team but it just means that they can't they, the 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 sell to the top free agents so like I think Patty Mills would be a good role player off the bench for this Nets team point guard come in he can hit shots uh it's been in a bunch of big games you'll have to convince him to take three million dollars this this year instead of the 12 he may get from someone else. And, I, you know, I'm just making up those numbers, but that's the type of hard sell they're going to have to do because they'll always be able to get the Blake Griffin guy in the middle of the season. It may not always be Blake Griffin, but those are the types of players that they're going to have to hit on, uh, as you said, to build out the rest of the roster because as great as those three guys are, it's, they're still, you have to put five guys on the court, right? So the Nets media narrative will continue. You wanted to hit on a bunch of others, so we're just gonna get right into it. The twenty eighteen draft class reevaluation.
1: Okay, so I, I would lump that in. Um, I would lump that in with the good stats, bad team guy over usage, um, and everything in that conceptual category, right? So the reason it bugs me that everyone is revaluing the DeAndre Luca straight thing is because I, I and i understand the point i'm about to make is a product of the political economy of like the media right but the nba discussion changes its expectations for at least the stars and the big personalities so much quicker than any human could possibly have the time to like actually change themselves to meet the expectations, right? And I just feel like cre- a deeming Trey Young, who is 23 years old or something, which is our age, right? And for context, I literally could barely make a fruit shake without dropping my blender on the floor this morning, and I'm 23, right? So judging or assessing his Complete like his value as an NBA player at age 23 seems to be as premature and rash as an assessment can get right. And of course, it's fun to speculate, but I think the league was, per, or at least fans, were pretty thoroughly bought into the good, sass, bad, bad team guy narrative with him and the uh disappointing narrative with DeAndre, right? and. It's very it's become clear this postseason that say what you want about those guys. I'm not gonna do the thing that I'm criticizing others for do by saying that they've proved everyone wrong because who knows they're young. but like it turns out that the story is a bit more complicated than that, right? Which led me to say to myself, that why the hell did we spend so much time speculating on things that we really had no idea about? not to say, that it's not fun to speculate and or that we couldn't get something from thinking about it. But like talking every third day about Trey Young's like viability as a potential superstar or lack thereof um, seems excessive, especially given how many other interesting things there are in the NBA in the world. And it's just like, I, I, I understand the um, appeal of following these personalities and like paying close attention to like their career arc and like getting invested in like um, the obstacles they need to overcome and really feeling good when they do or um, disappointed when they don't, whatever it is. Right. But as with everything, there's a balance. and I just feel like as with many things in the world um, and I think politics included people are, People, I hate using people generally because you can't put everyone into any one box, right? But still, I, I feel like the NBA media ecosystem is spending so much more energy on these storylines than would be effective and or healthy for any spectator. I, I just think like take it well, back, take it back a little bit.
0: Well, one, they just have daily shows that they just have to talk about something every day so part of it is just like they just have to talk about something and okay so the 2018 draft class to just start on that one it's not anybody's fault in that class that luka Doncic was the most nba ready player of like all time (laughs) since you know with like lebron larry bird magic and Jordan and Anthony Davis of like in year one how much yeah. and year two how much can they impact winning because Luca was a professional since he was like 16 or 17 years old and so at 19 as a rookie he's coming off being the League MVP which is the second best league in the world he was ready in year two to make the playoffs and he's not afraid of anything. Not saying that Trey Young is, but it's a much bigger jump coming from playing in, in the Big 12 and making the NCAA tournament and having a great freshman year the way Trey Young did to going to the NBA, where also the, if you talk about just the luck involved in the infrastructure of Dallas, that team was a lot more equipped to make a push to be playoff ready earlier than Atlanta was. Because Atlanta, when Trey got there, had just started their rebuilding process. And so he was the foundational piece, and they were building everything else around it. And then this offseason, they add Bogdan Bogdanovich. They add Clint Capella. They add Gallinari. And what do you know? They are in the playoffs. And that also comes from—it also took a coaching change, too, where Trey Young, in his first three years with—or two and a half years with with Lloyd Pierce, won, you know, 60-ish games— and then it with, with Nate McMillan. He was 27 and 11, right? So part of it, too, is the, the coaching change with that. And Eaton's talked about this postseason, but it was very similar in Phoenix where he gets drafted. Phoenix was still figuring out their roster, building around Booker. He was the number one pick. They had the number one pick for a reason because they weren't very good. They're building out that roster. He's talked about the, the impact of Chris Paul on that team cannot be overstated. And he's talking about what the impact Chris Paul has had on him personally and, and his development. So that's a, such a big part of team building is you have to put guys around your your really good young players to help them grow and s- succeed. We saw this with SGA with the Thunder. You know, he was good with the Clippers, is a part of that Paul George trade, goes to Thunder. And the Thunder at Chris Paul and all of a sudden SGA is in the playoffs last year in, in the bubble as a second year player. Like, part of it yeah. is just, yes, they have to talk about something every single day. And if the Hawks stink, and Trey was traded for Luka Doncic, and Luka is is in the playoffs, it's like, oh, well, Luca's better than than Trey Young, and because they stink. But like, they were just on different pathways early on. But Trey's made it farther than Luca has in his playoff runs, right? So, so much of that is you can't evaluate draft classes till several years down the road. And we're starting, we're starting to see that because now we'll see this upcoming season what Luca is like with Jason Kidd as his coach and not Rick Carlisle, who's one of the best coaches in you know, the recent the NBA, yeah. and going to Jason Kidd, who's been pretty unsuccessful as a head coach in his two different stops in Brooklyn and in Milwaukee.
1: So how about this? You are absolutely right on everything you just said. So why those narratives come about and like why they're invalid being it takes a while to build a team and to build yourself a player, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. How about this? I understand that if you're ESPN and you have a choice between putting first take on the air two days a week or five days a week, you're going to choose the five day five days a week and all the money that comes with it. Right. Like you're running a business. Okay. I understand that. But how about instead of watching first take every day and just echoing the narratives that they give you thinking for a second and saying hmm maybe that Trey Young take is a bit premature right and I understand what I'm asking is not only um, a critique of sports dialogue but like dialogue in general right like it applies to politics it applies to finance all that stuff right um, but how about rather than just regurgitate on Twitter what your favorite sports journalist tweeted out this morning because they make more money the more followers they have, and they get more followers when they say outrageous things, right? How about instead of just parroting it, like, think for a second, and I say that as somebody who recognizes, not everyone has the tools to do that effectively all the time, but no matter who you are you can stop and ask a question maybe not as effectively as you would if you had like the best education in the world but you can still like stop and like ask a question right um so i don't know maybe i'm being an elitist or outrageous whatever but um
0: you're yeah you're just you're just thinking about it way too hard Is,
1: is that too am i though is it too much to ask just like Ask whether the take is out. Like, don't just parrot Max Kellerman. If everyone parroted Skip Bayless and Max Kellerman, the world would be an unbearable place.
0: Well, yeah, I agree with you. And that's why those guys sometimes get ridiculed for those takes. But those guys have difficult jobs and that every single day they have to talk about something. And you know what? Not every day is there a topic to talk about. So you have to talk about a lot of the same things. And as you're saying, Make it bolder and bolder for 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 you to get noticed because the one thing that no one you know the biggest miss of the two, of the 2018 draft class was Michael Porter Jr. going 14. That's the yeah. biggest miss. He was the last one taken of the of the top players of Aiden Luca, Trey Bridges, SGA, and him. He was the one taken, you know, six but that's because he had a major, major back injury beforehand and everyone underst- understands it because it's a lot harder to, to, to critique that one. And looking back on it, we could say, oh, yeah, well, he, he you know, he probably should have gone fifth. But also he landed in Denver where he could take basically a whole redshirt year. Mm-hmm. And now he's the third best player on the team with Jokic and Murray instead of being the best player on the Orlando Magic. I,
1: I think... That's the type of point that I wish more people thought about, and I understand not everyone has the capacity to. But that's exactly right, and I think that ties in. I think that that's the perfect opportunity for a segue into the uh, reevaluating the NBA championship point because um, i I I don't I think luck is noticeably absent from public discourse on um, what makes for a valid NBA championship and it really grinds my gears as one would say grinds the um,
0: gears oh boy <laughs> it
1: uh it's like um it's like a quarter on sandpaper it's very rough and I, that was a terrible analogy whatever but, um
0: but but so you, you, obviously luck plays a big role but don't you just think it's because luck doesn't fit the narrative of overcoming obstacles and grit and persevering instead of just like well we may have won you know, the Hawks may make the finals because Giannis landed weird.
1: I think that's the right point,
0: and And, and also, Giannis landed weird June 29th ins- right. instead and, of December 29th. And
1: so there are about 8,000 things like that every year that you could point to, right? And I think your point is right, but I, I don't think it could be fully understood without examining the root of it. And I think... The root of your point is that the NBA champion, champion or world champion, is built or marketed as like if you win, you are you are superior to everyone else in some way, right? Or you have conquered, right? And I think that implies that the best team is the one who wins. And I don't think I think that it isn't the case nearly as frequently as the marketing of the nba like champion title would suggest it is um i I think if you look back at every champion in nba history the person that won is probably the team that the plurality of people who follow the league closely would call best a lot less frequently than you think so um so i I think just the whole conception of what it means to be like nba champion is just like a little bit uh a little bit underdeveloped or a little bit uh a little bit spun um well
0: well that's why there's the playoffs and it's not just the best team at the end of the regular season that's declared champion but that you have to go in these playoffs and these series and Get to a point where you're playing a team in a best of seven, and and weird things happen. That you're 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 definitely right about weird things happen every year. Teams start great in the season, they they go up and down. You know these are people as well, human beings. They're 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 not perfect, and and things happen. And and this year, you could say did did the best is the best team going to win the championship this year? That that's something that everyone's talking about. This is somehow an asterisk title, and you know the people who do this for a living. Say every title has an asterisk because you could put an asterisk on every single one. I personally only think I personally think that the only asterisk title of the last twenty so what years was last year because in the record books literally you need an asterisk saying like was completed in October twenty twenty yeah. instead of June because of the pandemic yeah. in a bubble at Disney World. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean luck is involved in in every single thing i mean look at chris paul chris paul makes his first nba finals last night the suns played great last night he was awesome and the third quarter on he was great well he gets hurt in game one against the lakers comes back was he lucky or good that anthony davis also got hurt because if anthony davis doesn't get hurt the lakers are up 2-1 and i think the lakers win that series and i think we're Doing it instead of that, if Davis doesn't get hurt, I think we're talking about how LeBron's the best player of all time because he's about to win championship number five. So, and crystal, then, and, and then also, yeah. and, and then also, he gets put in the COVID protocol. Seems like he he had COVID. He comes back. The Clippers tie the series, or sorry, don't tie it two one. Right, the first game he's back. The Clippers win. He gets undercut by Pat Bev in game five. Takes an awkward fall, somehow falling like balls first on Bev's foot, but he could have easily hurt his back or something when you get undercut, right? Is Chris Paul lucky this year that he hasn't got hurt, or is he super lucky this year to make up for all the times he's been unlucky in previous years? Because I've been flowing this theory that Chris Paul is cursed. So... That, that he's cursed.
1: Like he popped his hamstring with two minutes to go in a game six that they probably should have won, right? And it's like, like how, like how can you quantify one luck versus one unluck? It's so ridiculous, you know. Like here, he, that I think Chris Paul is the prime example of somebody whose narrative has been kind of like uh, hijacked by the. Meritocracy culture in NBA discussion, right? Uh, Being that you have to earn every single thing that you've gotten, I think if you just look at how much value he adds to every circumstance he's been in, there's no question about where he belongs in the annals of like greatest point guards or players of all time. That was apparent a while ago, right? Like you didn't need him to pop his hamstring two minutes away from the NBA finals to know that, right? Like, or you didn't need him to like hit and a scene freaking game winner against the Spurs in 2014 or whatever, or have Josh Smith and Corey freaking Brewer shoot him out of the gym uh, when he was like minutes away from the second round of your conference finals, whatever it was, right? Like you don't need all that stuff to know that you can just look at what he at, at what his teammates say about him and how he controls the pace of the basketball game. And you can see that's the case, right? And I just think it's ridiculous to say otherwise. It's just like nobody who knows Chris Paul's career arc well would say anything else, especially, especially as you said very well. Every single freaking person who is anointed, um, who is anointed as a champion, has had just as many lucky moments. To get them there, as Chris Paul has had unlucky moments to prevent him from getting there in the first place, right? And there are about five people in the history of the sport that are so good that it doesn't freaking matter how lucky or unlucky they are. They were gonna win three championships, right? And that list is like LeBron, Michael, Larry Burton, Bill Russell, Cream, whatever, right? Everyone else is subject to luck, just like the rest of us in the world. And I I I, I I I don't think it would be as big of a deal if the narrative surrounding these guys didn't determine how popular and as a result how marketable they are in like a lot of business opportunities. And of course, they're all going to do fine if you're of that caliber, anyway. Right? Like Chris Paul and Charles Barkley are going to do fine whether they win a ring or not. Um, think about really. it this
0: way: like Michael Jordan, is he seven and zero in the finals? If Scottie Pippen doesn't have the migraine game against the Pistons.
1: Right. Or, or I, 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 my favorite MJ counter argument is like if LeBron took two years off in the middle of his run to rest his legs and let his body recover, then he probably would have been able to go have like a freaking fantastic record in the finals too. I think that's a Zach Lowe argument. Um, like, yeah. Oh well, yeah, like that. But don't you buy that? Like that. Like if you talk to people on those bulls teams or any team that's been in that like back to back to back space, I guess the Warriors the most recent example. The word that comes up most frequently is like exhaustion. Like they're tired from playing so many games. They're tired from fighting, from parsing through these like ego battles all the freaking time, and it's just like tired right so getting a break in the middle of all that can't be quantified as an advantage right like that's a really big thing and I'm not saying the discount I'm not discounting MJ's like legacy at all I'm just saying everyone is stuff like that you know in both directions
0: last thing before we move on (laughs) any comment on Devin Booker seemingly breaking the Kardashian-Jenner curse
1: (laughs) Uh, that's a fantastic question Um,
0: seems like you have no comment.
1: I have a comment. I'm just thinking about whether it's insightful enough to be worth sharing with more than just you, because I, 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 especially when I get tired, I get careless with my words and I don't know if my
0: Kardashian take is worth the space so actually i'm gonna i'm gonna refrain from that
1: one okay um, mm-hmm. I, 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 yeah I was, I was gonna go go to ben simmons land and that's just well, uh,
0: that's a, well, well moving on off season 2021 storylines ben simmons i know you have a lot of thoughts on ben simmons the quick thoughts on ben simmons is what do you think billy does with him <sighs>
1: At least some other topics we talked about, like, I thought about before, and I'm not particularly, like, super well informed, but I, I like, thought them through. Ben Simmons, I, I don't think I could credibly say anything one way or the other, so I would flip the question back at you. How in the frickin' world, if he and Embiid weren't close to begin with, can you even think about bringing him back after that fiasco? Um, because even if the situation isn't any less tenable than it was before, like, what what how, how could— now that the public side of it is like a disaster as well, like how can you even think about bringing him back?
0: Because he's the best perimeter defender in the NBA. He's 6'10". He's an all-star. He was an all-NBA player last year. He's really, really good. That's how he, That's how you bring him back is that he's still – he stinks in, sometimes in half-court offense, especially late, late in games. It seems like it's mental. It seems like it also needs to do some a lot of skill work. But 6'10 dudes who can guard – Trey Young and Kevin Durant and Giannis and almost back-to-back series back-to-back-to-back series um, don't grow on trees so like I think he'll be a sixer next year I think they'll try to move Harris and try to get someone else I think Kyle Lowry could could be really interesting for them in the offseason to pursue because he went to Villanova Um, but Ben Simmons is a perfect example of it's like he plays extremely poorly late as his team loses. And it seems like Embiid's giving it all he's got because he was giving it all he's got. And he's just so obvious for non, for just a casual fan and non, you know, you don't have to be a basketball player to recognize, well, he, he he can't shoot like how, like how can he not shoot and, and how can he not make free throws? So his flaws are very, very identifiable, which makes which exacerbates them as well, like Giannis's because people can't can't relate to like Giannis extendo arming on a euro step to dunk seven times a game. But they but they can be like, one, why does he take so long to shoot a free throw? And two, uh, why does he take so long just to miss it? And three, which is just a side point for me, why does everyone care so much that he's going over the the timing if he's going to miss it anyway? Like, like I get, like, you don't want to stand there, but, like, it's exhausting. Basketball's exhausting. Take an extra so, 10 to ten to 12 seconds while waiting for him to shoot. Also, how about
1: this? How about he looks like he, he's, like, strong and broad enough that he looks like you've smashed two 6-foot-10 humans together um, and, like, one ate the other. And he's like
0: a superhero. A sick, he, he's a he's super like a real-life superhero.
1: superhero. He's also... Almost unbelievably likable and humble for somebody who's one of the three
0: or four best people in the world in this profession, right? The video and, the, the video that got released with him and PJ Tucker talking at practice before uh I think it was oh, fantastic. I, 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 think, right? I think before it was he was, was a game theory game four where he was like like I've airballed free throws, you know, I've airballed two in a row, I've you know, missed shots, I've been dropped, I've been dunked on. Like, basically, like, and I just keep going. Like,
1: yeah. So, how about admiring the fact that he's as good as he is and he still has a growth mindset, right? Like, yeah. how about, yes, you could be a better free throw shooter, and I want to hold you to account on that. Like, we all have things that we need to get better at. But, how about also, I appreciate everything you are at the same time. Like, I, and I, so, I mean, we can go, you know, I feel very, Always have felt very strongly about Giannis. Which, which,
0: um, which, just, just to clarify, your love started at the beginning because you're like, this dude's name is incredible, and because you were the <laughs> only person who put in any effort to pronounce his name, and so then. It, 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 and it, it was,
1: like, 70% name, and then... I, so I saw the name, and I was like, well, what the absolute... F, right? And then
0: you, you were in on the name, and then you saw a video of him in, like, preseason or in the regular season and, doing and, one of his like, two-step dunks from, awesome. from... One wow. dribble, two-step dunks from half court, and you were like, what is this sorcery? And, and, and then...
1: Well, because of the spaghetti art. It, it, was like, it, it was like this... Uh, it, it was like you took six foot worth of human, and you stretched it out to, like, six foot ten... And on top of that, you gave it like a super natural feel for the game, and that was
0: like. And then his dunks, and, and his dunks just kept getting better and better as he started playing, and then you were like, so you you would watch it again. He'd take one, he'd take one dribble to go the length of the court and windmill, and you'd be like, what is happening?
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, so you know better than most. I, I've been enamored with him. For forever, um, going back to Dr. G's lightning class, the thing that crystallized uh, crystallized my um, affection for him was that block um, he had on um, Kevin Durant when he was like a rookie or something. Yeah. Um, in Oklahoma City. Yeah, and he just came flying from like he's not you know, afraid. Would, he's well, he would, uh, it, it was just like a normal person that would have been like a normal NBA player, which is as far from a normal person as you can get. But like a normal NBA player, it would have been like four strides. And he comes from like 28 feet out, of, out away from the basket and he like takes a step and he like glides in to take the ball from like this freaking human being. And you can tell only a freak could do that to another freak. That's the only way that that, that, that would even be remotely possible.
0: I think also the reason why we both like Giannis is, and it was, well, this is a reason why I really, really like Giannis is that, and this is the, the, the last thing before we'll, we'll, finish up is sports is an incredibly public stage it's a public arena it's literally in front of tens of thousands of people in person hundreds of thousands millions on television you know millions on social media now and when you fail you fail incredibly publicly and it can be humiliating for a lot of people and for a lot of players and his ability to just repeatedly fail and not be afraid of it continually on a public stage is what I really took away from from that video is the confidence to be able to basically pick himself back up after airballing two shots in a row game seven on the road and still have the confidence to post up Kevin Durant in, in overtime and make that jump hook knowing that he may get fouled making free throws at the end of that game. The confidence he has to pick himself back up and to keep going, and put himself back into those, in, you know, in, into those situations where he may fail again publicly, is just inspiring in in a lot of ways. And I'm a huge fan of Giannis. He's out tonight in Game Five. I hope he's okay and and that he can return in in Game Six because him winning a championship is it will just be inspiring.
1: I mean, I would also love the Bucks suns finals because I could live with either one of those teams, two teams winning, right? Like, either Chris Paul or Giannis. And in either case, I'd be delighted. Um, and that would be a fantastic, I guess, non-chalk outcome for the NBA, right? Like, as far as, like, um, non-top three, like, you know they're going to be outstanding players in the league uh, winning. Either one of those two would be delightful. And I would be more than happy with that.
0: Matt, always a pleasure, but before we wrap up, quickly, what are you reading right now? And, uh, and, uh, you know, quickly, what is it about?
1: <laughs> so, you know, uh, quickly and, um, what I'm reading almost never go together, but I'll do my best. Title of book um,
0: and like, read like the back summary.
1: So I, 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 and as you know, I'm never reading just one book. So I have three books gone. Um, one book. It I, I I've had going for a while, but I I had to break it up into three books because it's so big. Uh, the Power Broker by uh, Bob Caro, or Caro, um, whatever. Um, won the Pulitzer Prize in 1975. It's 1,100 pages. I read the first 350. A lot of paper cuts. Um, oh, dude, a lot of paper cuts and a lot of brain aches. Um, it's a lot of freaking stuff and a lot of detail. It's basically the story of the planner um, and government official who built New York City. Robert Moses. Um, yeah, Robert Moses. And I, I, as somebody who's in government planning world right now, um, I, I, I'll stop myself before I get going. As, doing a terrific
0: as, job, should I say, for the people of Portland, Maine.
1: Yeah, it's tr- doing my best. Um, I don't know if it's terrific, but I'm doing my best. Anyway, um, so that's number one. Number two is a book called Manufacturing Consent. Um, it's Noam Chomsky and somebody else. Um, and it's on the political uh, economy of the mass media, which is why, I guess, I was so, if not well-equipped, um, in the headspace of trying to critique why the NBA media is the way it is. Um, I think the basic takeaway from that book is, like, everyone has people they're beholden to. Um, and if you're reading your news without thinking about who the person doing what they're reporting is reporting to or is beholden to, Uh, then you're doing both your ability to understand um, the news, um, but also, I guess, have a reasonable discussion about it, a disservice. Um, So that's number two. And the number three is especially topical. It's called The Price of Inequality by uh, Joe Stiglitz. Joe Stiglitz won a Nobel Prize in economics at some point in time. I don't know when. Um, But he is very in the vein of like Robert Reich like progressive capitalism um and i hear a lot in um, a lot of the economics journalism i like to read about inequality being both a symptom and a root of the political division instability that exists now in not only america and like the whole uh western developed world right um and i figured I needed to take that like intuition of like inequality is really destructive into like something a bit more concrete um like if somebody asked me i can rattle off the six reasons why inequality is destructive
0: to a democracy so that's a podcast for a future day and not I probably I, I, this podcast
1: I, I don't i don't even know if the world is ever gonna be ready for that podcast not because like. It wouldn't be able to understand it but like uh, who... that's like, an
0: essay you'll publish on medium.com
1: <laughs> oh god um I don't I don't know if I have the bandwidth to flesh that all out in writing although what I will say is I did talk about why um, civic service or um exposing yourself to spaces that you feel uncomfortable is uncomfortable and is really fundamental to having a healthy democracy in a blog post. Um, I wrote that hopefully is going to be out soon. Um, so maybe we're not as far away from that day, um, of that podcast slash blog post happening as you would think. And if they don't
0: publish it, just blog it yourself.
1: That's what I was saying, dude. Yeah. The, the the media masters can't stop me. Anyway, exactly.
0: (laughs) Anyway, Matt, Always, always a pleasure having you on. That'll do it for this episode of The Double Double. If you like this podcast, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever your podcast, where you can subscribe, rate, and review. Five stars would be much, much appreciated. also follow us on Twitter at dbl__dblpodcast. We'll be back tomorrow. Take care, and make it a great day.